The Whole Health Cure with Dr. Sharon Berquist, the podcast that brings you inspiration and skills for living a healthy and fulfilled life. Welcome to the Whole Health Cure podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Berquist. On this podcast, we explore the science and provide inspiration and skills for living your happiest, most fulfilling, and healthiest life. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Sherry Hill. Sherry is an assistant professor of gynecology and obstetrics at Emory University School of Medicine. She's a graduate of Xavier University of Louisiana and the the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. She completed her residency in obstetrics and gynecology at Duke University, where she served as chief resident. Dr. Hill has a clinical interest in minimally invasive gynecologic surgery for management of gynecologic disorders, particularly abnormal uterine bleeding and fibroids, in addition to comprehensive obstetrics and well-woman care. Beyond the clinical setting, Dr. Hill serves as the Wellness Ambassador and Chair of the Wellness Committee for the Department of Gynecology and Obstetrics and is Director of the Resident Wellness Program. She serves on the Health Advisory Board for the Center for Children's Health, the Environment, the Microbiome, and Metabolomics. Her research interests include resident well-being and determinants of preterm birth. She maintains her own wellness through participation in public service mentorship of local students, quality time with her husband, two children, extended family, and friends. Dr. Hill, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This is such a pleasure. Yeah, so I'm very excited about how you work women's health and wellness together in the work that you do. I want to start by asking you, how did you get an interest into providing more holistic um, care for women? Yeah, that's a great question. I It's interesting. I've actually used the last several weeks during quarantine to do some of my own self-reflection and while I used to quote the start of my wellness journey in residency with more reflection, I think it began much sooner than that. My mother really encouraged me in college to spend at least one day a week doing what we called me time. And so this was a practice that I incorporated into my own personal life during college and continued that through medical school and residency. And having that foundation of putting myself first and doing self-care, I think, really allowed me to kind of perpetuate a environment or culture of wellness um, in my journey. And then more specifically, when it comes to physician wellness, um, I have what could be a, a bit of a, a trigger for people, so just a, a fair warning about um, physician suicide. One of my co-residents was married to one of our pediatric colleagues, and in our second year of residency, he, he tragically took his own life. And that sent waves through our programs. As you can imagine, OB and pediatrics residents work together very closely, and we all knew him very well, and it really caught all of us by surprise. And after that tragic incident, our program director came to me and two other residents and said, we need to start a wellness program. 
you seem to be handling residency pretty well. Um, what is it that you are doing? And so after a year of brainstorming, we put together the resident wellness program in combination with the resident leadership and the Department of Psychiatry and Social Work within the OBGYN umbrella and started this monthly program for the residents where it was part of protected time and really charting, starting to shift that culture of wellness within the workplace. Once I got to Emory, we then... I realized we didn't have a wellness program. So I spoke with then chair Dr. Horowitz about my love for wellness. And he connected me with the program director, Dr. Arluck. And I helped to create the Emory OBGYN resident wellness program. I connected with other wellness people here at Emory. And we have a standard curriculum that we present to our residents. And I continue to kind of employ those same wellness principles to my, my patients in my teaching and counseling with my patients. Wow, that is just what an amazing journey. You know, there's so many things I want to circle back and touch on. Um, the first is, you know, you mentioned that even back, you know, from college time, your mother had encouraged you to take a day of me time. And, you know, you've been so successful in your career, you know, going into medicine, doing a residency in OBGYN is certainly a very demanding, you know, role to take on. How have you been able to do that? You know, in your, you have kids, you have a family, you know, so much of the challenge, I think, for a lot of people is just making the time. How mm -hmm. have you been able to do that? while balancing your career and, and family and juggling everything else? Well, I will say they call it a wellness journey for a reason. Um, it, the ability to carve out time has definitely looked different at different stages in my life. In residency, it was much harder to carve out time in the way that I would have liked because so much of your schedule was out of your control. Um, as an attending, I've been able to do so partly because I can control my schedule and I can look ahead. I admittedly am a big calendar girl. So I have a, a, a digital calendar and I map out the year and I look at the big picture. And if I look at a certain month and I don't have enough days off or I don't have um, enough breathing room for me to feel like I'd be at my best capacity, then I schedule that in. And I'm very intentional about looking at not only my work schedule, but my family calendar. So I write down my children's activities, my husband's activities, making sure that we have couples time together, family time together, sometimes with the children, sometimes without and really being intentional about carving out the time to do so. Oh, and, and certainly, you know, you're a great example of how effective that is. You know, you, as you mentioned, as your program director noticed in residency that you were maybe getting through um, better than <laughs> right? So, um, which is, you know, certainly um, kind of, reiterating the value of, of you being so intentional. And um, 
you mentioned also that you, you know, are creating and have created the curriculum for residents. What are the components, like what do you encourage um, amongst the residents as part of wellness? That is a, another great question. So myself, along with the internal medicine and emergency medicine faculty at the School of Medicine, um, have a resident wellness curriculum. And the curriculum consists of six modules. Now for internal medicine and emergency medicine, they roll out the curriculum primarily to their interns. The OB program is a little bit smaller and the teams work kind of across their years, um, I would say pretty consistently throughout the entire residency. So we actually present the resident wellness curriculum to all years and then it, it runs every other year, um, which lectures we choose. And so the areas that we focus on in July include change management because you're making that transition from one postgraduate year level to the next. And then later, as the year goes on, we talk about conflict resolution, time management, stress management, sleep hygiene, and then also include a work-life balance or work-life efficiency panel. And so we try to find leaders within each of the department or experts within the department to lead some of those lectures. And then we also do that in combination with our faculty staff assistance program. We have licensed professional counselors and social workers who also help to facilitate these lectures. And, and what is the general response? You know, are residents and interns um, able to adopt these? Have you seen a change in the experience of residency? You mentioned the tragic incident that happened when you were a resident. Have, have you seen the impact or difference from these modules? Yeah, I, one thing I will say is that it doesn't appear that only the modules will make a difference, right? Like if you are giving these lectures about wellness and then turn around and are not treating your colleagues well, you're not allowing the residents to have any sort of decision-making capacity, they're not going to feel well because there are so many other factor, um, factors that are contributing to, I guess, unwellness. And so what we have found is that the combination of having a resident wellness program, having a curriculum, also having things like flex days. So our program director was able to create these wellness Wednesdays where residents have a half a day where they can go and get their doctor's appointments done. Maybe if they need to go to therapy, they can incorporate that during that time, et cetera. And I think the combination of all of those things has helped shift the culture in the past seven years that we have been here at Emory doing this program. Yeah, that's a really good point about the whole culture and the system needing to embrace some of these changes. Um, I want to also shift over to your your medical practice. So when you um, take care of women and do uh, well care uh, for a woman, um, how do you weave in wellness? So I think there are a couple of different ways. I see women for well woman care, also during their pregnancies, and then around somewhat stressful times if they're having to potentially consider surgical intervention for abnormal uterine bleeding. 
And I always take a moment to sit down and really check in with each of my patients about how they're coping. And I think sometimes as physicians, we constantly feel pressure. I know I surely do to get to the next room, not be late to see the next patient. And your patients can sense when you are rushed. And so I try to sit down and take a moment to really check in and spending that little extra time to really see how the patients are doing beyond the medicine, I think helps to build a a mutual level of trust there. And for them to recognize that, yes, even when I am rushed, I truly do care about your well-being and your overall healing. Um, And then also gives them an opportunity to sometimes reveal what may be going on. Sometimes they're having financial stress. Sometimes there's marital stress. Sometimes it's just the psychological anxiety of the unknown of what's going to happen. And taking that time, I think, has really kind of led to some great relationships with my patients over time. Oh, absolutely. And, and if they bring up issues and they're struggling with their own well-being, are there any specific techniques or, or websites or resources that you share? Definitely. So first, we try to just spend some time talking about what they maybe have tried in the past that has worked for them. So some people know yoga is not their thing. They're like, well, someone told me to do yoga and yoga doesn't work for me. What, what else can I do? So we may spend some time talking about other ways to tap into wellness, whether that's through meditation or prayer, um, through reflective writing and journaling, whether that's through exercise finding the areas that you feel are out of your control and how you can find some center or locus of control, um, I think is, is one way to start. And then using our existing resources. So we take care of lots of Emory employees here. And so we work with faculty staff assistants to potentially get them a referral. Healthy Emory has a great platform for these these journeys now that I've been referring some patients to um, that are employees where you can spend time learning about healthy eating or incorporating exercise and just trying to change habits. And then lastly, you know, not being afraid to talk about areas that may have previously had a stigma associated, which is getting professional um, mental health services. So we have the Emory Women's Mental Health Clinic that I work very closely with Dr. Goldsmith to refer a lot of our postpartum patients or currently pregnant patients for assistance if need be. Yeah, it sounds like those are great resources. Um, From your experience, are there any things that you think are you know things that maybe we can all be doing or should be doing as women um, just from a preventive standpoint? I mean, I think definitely really, as I mentioned at the beginning, like being intentional about taking time for ourselves. I think one of the unique things about women is that we're often in a caregiver role at home, regardless of what we're doing during the day. And so that may have some additional stresses for women that they're not even recognizing or taking a toll on their body. But sometimes we see it manifest through some of the the diseases that come out. So for example, you know, chronic stress may be related to 
risk for preterm delivery. And so we want to try to mitigate those, those stresses beforehand. So trying to work with women to create a wellness plan, like what is one thing that you can do, even if it's just going into the bathroom, because maybe that's your one area where you can be alone and taking out five minutes to do a little, you know, visualization exercise or breathing exercise. Um, And I think if you can make time every single day to do one thing for yourself, then that's going to go a long way. Yeah. Yeah. It is amazing how it doesn't really take a lot to, to feel that you have that center and control. Um, you know, the current times, you know, we're in a very difficult time right now, obviously with, um, you know, the COVID-19, um, incorporating wellness with, COVID-19 has, you know, a lot of value, but obviously it's a stressful time. Um, yes. People are struggling with <laughs> this above and beyond um, the struggles that we have, you know, at any other time of year. Um, you know, I know since the COVID-19 pandemic, you um, and your clinic, you've done a lot of work around wellness. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, definitely. I I know we're probably tired of hearing the word unprecedented, but this surely was an unprecedented time for all of us. And our approach from a department was multi-pronged. So I think for those of us who work at Emory, there were concerns about having the proper protective equipment and would I potentially get infected at work. And so our chairperson, Dr. Jameson, kind of created a COVID task force and we had nightly meetings. And one of the primary concerns was just about the safety of the workforce. So we we were split into two groups. One group was able to work from home for two weeks. The other group split care of our GYN and our obstetrics teams, and then the outpatient setting. And I think there was just an an immediate calm by knowing that, okay, at least everybody wasn't going to be potentially exposed at the same time. And so with that time at home, I personally worked with our wellness committee to debut our wellness newsletter. I think one of the things you may have even noticed is that the number of emails just skyrocketed. And so we were able to consolidate several of the resources that were being sent out, great resources, but maybe got buried in the bottom of the inbox and consolidate them into one centralized newsletter. And we released one every single week for that first eight weeks that we were on quarantine. And they are available on a centralized website, some of which are specific to Emory, but several of which, which were just kind of open resources for things like meditation, childcare resources, psychiatric resources, etc. Um, the third thing I wanted to mention is that we really worked across departments. So Dr. Heron chairs our wellness working group and kind of brings together various departments across the School of Medicine to really make sure that all of our efforts are centralized. And so we have a a folder on box where we were able to then put together what each of our departments were were doing. And so Dr. Hack created a daily yoga session. So people across the Emory Enterprise and beyond were able to log in to do that. 
um, the Center for Compassion had daily meditation that we were able to advertise. Um, the Wellness Ambassador for Radiology, um, Dr. Seidel, advertised different online workout courses. And so we really just tried to streamline all of those into a central location so that we wouldn't duplicate efforts. And then the last thing that I would mention is um, the office, um, the Folly office also hosted several webinars looking specifically at like caregiving and parenting, working from home and, and how to balance all of that. Mm -hmm. well, it's great to have a coordinated response the way um, that you were able to create. Um, and did you get a sense of feedback from you know, faculty members on the use of these resources and, and how it's helped them make it through um, this pandemic? Yeah, so specifically with some of the webinars and regard to email, it was commented at our last wellness working group meeting that the sheer number of appointments made for FSAP definitely increased. Um, I think they had something like 1,600 appointments, which was higher than they had had um, in, in a short window of time. Also, just the feedback that we would get on our weekly faculty meetings, people expressing appreciation. Uh, we created this kudos link and people would comment on the kudos link about how they were happy that the department was taking time to acknowledge wellness, to acknowledge some of the stresses about caregiving or caring for children. And I think that it also highlighted that these are things that shouldn't just disappear because we're going into this next phase of recovery from COVID. These are hopefully initiatives that we should continue. And so we're now doing the newsletter on a monthly basis and we have it available on our department website. And so I'll make that available to you all to, to post as well. Yeah, that's wonderful. And it, it's so true that, you know, certainly a lot of things were um, kind of, brought on and precipitated by the virus and some of these are changes that um, can hopefully have a long-lasting benefit. Um, Definitely. Yeah, and, and for our listeners, you know, are there things that you would like to emphasize um, that you think are just so important uh, related to wellness in people's overall health and in their own approach to, to life and um, and managing, you know, stress and health and, and a whole host of issues. Are, are there suggestions that you would have for people? Definitely. I, I mean, I think specifically how you spend your time, if you can spend 20% of your time at work, I think the AMA, the American Medical Association, um, released some data about that specific 20% number that you will have much higher satisfaction. And, and let's be honest, work is where we spend most of our time during the day. And so if you can find at least 20% of your day where you're doing something enjoyable, for me, that's all of my wellness committee work. For 
For others, it may be research. Um, for others, it may be patient outreach, et cetera. Um, so finding 20% of your time, regardless of your industry, to do what kind of initially drew you to that industry is going to help keep you satisfied with where you are. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the importance of making healthy food choices and exercise when it comes to heart disease, because that is still the number one killer of women. And so doing things like looking into the Mediterranean diet, or at least cutting out most of the red meat in your diet are really going to go a long way as far as prevention for heart disease, which can sometimes first manifest itself during the, the, very precious time of pregnancy. And that also may help to reduce risk of fibroid formation too. They find that while there's obviously a big genetic component, diet may be contributory to development of fibroids. Now that that's really interesting because um, it's so prevalent to have, you know, for women to develop fibroids. Um, and the dietary link is one that you really don't hear mentioned a lot. Um, are there other ways where diet can impact you know, risk in developing and management of women's health through diet or lifestyle in general? Yeah, so I mean, definitely during pregnancy, we know that we need to incorporate a kind of a higher protein diet and also good healthy fats into the diet as these are often the, the building blocks, so to speak, for the early embryos. So we try to focus a lot on that. Um, interestingly, the microbiome is another area that is being researched with potential link to preterm birth. And so incorporation of probiotics into the diet to see if that may at least help to restore a normal microbiome in those who may have aberrations in the microbiome. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you also hear a lot about, um, you know, the role of diet in, in terms of fertility. Um, have you seen or, or do you practice any of that with your patients or make recommendations around that? Definitely. I mean, while a prenatal vitamin is definitely important, if you're able to obtain natural sources of folate through your diet, as opposed to the synthetic folic acid that comes in vitamins, that will definitely go a long way with regard to formation of a healthy embryo. One of the big things with fertility and diet is limiting alcohol and smoking. I know that's not maybe exactly what you meant, but a lot of times we don't really talk about that. And sometimes women come in not necessarily knowing that even while they're trying to conceive, even a moderate amount of drinking may impact your ability to conceive. Even for men, there is an association with alcohol and smoking and an effect on the sperm count and sperm motility. And so we try to encourage those healthy behaviors and then the use of your diet to maintain a normal body mass index. So if you have a body mass index over 30, you definitely are at higher risk of having 
problems with fertility. And so working with your doctor or your nutritionist to maintain a normal BMI or at least get it to under 30 um, will definitely help with fertility. And, and how about on, on the other end, um, menopause? Um, you probably get asked this a lot, as I know I do. A lot of women now hope to avoid hormone replacement therapy if possible, um, and yet, you know, are trying to manage their symptoms related to menopause, such as hot <laughs> and night sweats. Do you have any dietary recommendations um, regarding menopause management? Definitely. So one of the big kind of avoidances would be caffeine. Um, so caffeine definitely can increase your risk of having hot flashes. And so I try to advise women to cut back some on that. There are some studies that have looked at like soy-based products and whether or not those could potentially contribute to a less severe menopause. Um, and that may be the case, thinking that there's some overlap with soy and, um, and estrogen. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you find soy safe for all women to take, or are there certain women, i.e. those who've had a personal history of breast cancer, like do you have any limitations around recommending that? Yeah, I definitely think that you have to have a, an individualized discussion with, with each of your patients because you don't want to then overshoot and introduce more risk into a patient if they do have a personal history of breast cancer or if they have potential risk factors for breast or ovarian cancer that could be potentially worsened um, with the use of, of soy products. Um, and then obviously in menopause, we, you know, just talk about the, the normal kind of dietary things. You need to make sure that you're increasing your calcium intake, getting enough vitamin D, um, whole grains to help keep a, a healthy bowel system, et cetera. I'm going to ask you one more question, which is one that um, comes up a lot in my practice. Um, but how about lifestyle, be it diet or other um, factors? Um, regarding libido, both in men and women, are there things that people who feel that their libido is declining can do um, to maintain their libido? Oh, that's a great question, actually. <laughs> I don't know if I have an answer for that one. Um, I, I, I think you know, there are some anecdotal things out there. One of the big things I've had patients talking to me about lately um, are like black raspberries and um, red raspberry leaf tea and the thought that it may help to kind of prime the uterus and bring more blood supply to the pelvis. But I, I haven't seen any, you know, randomized trials about that specifically. Um, I think libido is is often one of those conversations that I have where we spend a lot of time talking about life in general and what maybe some of the, the stressors are in life that could potentially be contributing because I think the only thing that has shown to improve libido for women is really um, couples counseling and therapy if there isn't an actual like examination finding that that 
leads into the direction of why someone may not have a desire for intercourse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a it's a very complicated question. I think there are a lot of reasons, but I was um, very interested to see if there are things that you found effective. Um, well, I really appreciate you know all the great information you've provided, Dr. Hill. Is there anything um, that you'd like to share with our audience as we wrap up? Well, I just want to thank you again, Dr. Berquist, for all that you have done to help change and shift the culture of wellness here at Emory. And it was very interesting to hear your own journey to wellness um, before we got started on this podcast. So I, I wanted to make sure to acknowledge you and all of the work that you're doing. And for all of our listeners, I think as challenging as it may be to think about how do I make time for self-care? How do I make time for wellness? Just start one day at a time. I think it can be daunting to, to sometimes look too far into the future and what that may look like. But literally, just think about tonight. Can I spend 5, 10, 15 minutes before I go to bed doing something that I enjoy? Can I stretch? Can I pray? Can I do yoga? Can I meditate? Can I write in my journal? What is one thing that you can do for yourself today? And try to do that every single day, if you can, for three weeks. And I think by the time you do it for three weeks, you've got a new habit on your hands and you'll start to see some of the differences manifest themselves in so many different ways. Wow, that's great advice. I love the just just start, start somewhere, start anywhere, um, because it, it does make a big difference over time. Um, so thank you so much, and thank you for all the tremendous work that you do, you know, helping residents, helping um, women through a lot of, I think, very complicated and challenging situations. Um, and thank you for your time and everything you've shared today. You're so welcome. I look forward to collaborating more in the future. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. The Whole Health Cure is brought to you by Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness. For more information about wellness assessments, classes, and other resources, please visit our website, emoryhealthcare.org slash livewell. This material is copyrighted by Emory University.